This episode of Sexy Marriage Radio is brought to you by the Sexy Marriage Radio Academy. Are you wondering where the spark went in your sex life? Well, you can ignite it again. Join the Academy, connect with us, connect with other people in the community, and experience results. You can find passion and connection in your marriage again, and you can try it free for 30 days. Go to simplemarriage.net forward slash SMR Academy. You've turned on another episode of Sexy Marriage Radio, where we're having honest, straightforward, candid conversations about married life and sex and uh, everything in between. I guess that's a lot. There is a lot of ground to cover there. (laughs) There is a lot of ground to cover. I'm Dr. Corey Allen alongside my wife, Pam, again, where we want to say Merry Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. Merry Christmas. Right around the corner, coming right up. Um, And I want to say thank you to all of the Sexy Marriage Radio Academy members that have been with us this year. We just launched this thing this past calendar year. It's been a great year. 2017. And it's been a lot of fun to watch this unfold. And if you're not on board, um, jump on board. It's real easy to find. Go to sexymarriageradio.com. You'll see the purple button or simplemarriage.net forward slash SMR Academy. And you can try it out for 30 days for free. But one of the things we love hearing is also from not just our Academy members, but from all our listeners. And so you can call us and leave us any kind of a message at 214-702-9565. That's a voicemail line we've set up to get uh, questions, topics, comments, uh, praises, criticisms, any kind of thing that can help. We want to we want to hear we want to hear from you and we want to hear your voice. But you can also send us an email, feedback at sexymarriageradio.com or jump on iTunes, leave us any kind of a comment or review. Uh, if you like the show, give us five stars, please. That helps us climb the charts and spread the word that sex and, that uh, sex and marriage is the best place for sex and research continues to bear that out. So without further ado, um, this is based off of a show we just did. That, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it. That we had a voicemail call uh, that day. It was probably about an hour after the show went live is when this voicemail hit our our inbox. Hey, Corey. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for all you're doing with this uh, podcast. I love listening. Um, just a real quick question. Today's uh, session, you talked about um, longing versus lusting, and as soon as your wife Pam said that, uh, I was I was like, oh my gosh, I got to leave a message and get this clarified. But you actually got it clarified, which is neat. But then going into it, uh, you're talking about then turning your triggers toward your spouse and keeping versus keeping them inside and dwelling on them and, and kind of taking care of business your own way in unhealthy ways. So here, here's the question I have is really as a Christian husband, how do I express my desire for my wife without making her feel objectified? Um, which has been a problem in the past, and she has expressed that, that she's felt this way. You know, love is giving. Lust is taking, in my opinion. And if I pursue her, then I'm desiring her, and I feel like I'm trying to take something from her. Uh, love is the whole being. Lust is more objectifying, and anybody can lust after somebody, you know, staring and groping. But, you know, as, as a Christian husband, I still like to stare and, 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 and be impressed by her, but she feels again that she's being objectified. So really turning my spouse into quote unquote a release, turning to her for a release or for to satisfy my 
desires maybe when I've been triggered by something, how is that not lusting or using or, you know, using her for my own selfish means? So it's, it's, I know it's complicated. Um, I'm a big fan of Ephesians 5.25, which means, you know, husbands are supposed to love the wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her. So I have taken a, a strong approach for myself is just to shut up and to not pursue when I often, because I can tell that she's not interested. So it's up to me as a loving husband to sacrifice and, and be more of a sac- sacrificial husband. So um, that's kind of where I am. And, um, you know, I know I need to push so that we can grow, but it doesn't seem loving to me at times. Thank you. Okay. So this is complicated, but then again, I, I don't know if it really is all that complicated. I think we could um, parse this out a little bit for the sake of the show and this episode and unpack a little bit uh, some of the premise. This is kind of what I'm thinking just off the top of my head. Some Ab- of the- yeah, absolutely. I mean, he referred to the past show with the longing versus lusting. Let's dive into that a little bit about what is what do those mean again? Perfect. So we because we made a comment of just what's the difference between longing versus lusting. And so if you look it up, uh, the dictionary version uh, definition of longing actually says a yearning for something. And this is one of the things I love about the English language, because then if you then go to what does yearning mean, okay. it says a longing for something. <laughs> so circular reference here. Yes. So we don't really ever get an answer from that, but it's what I think of it is is it's a I want a connection with something outside of myself. I want to feel one with something. I want to to know it more. Be around its presence. I want to experience it. I want to absorb it. Um you know, cuz you can have an intense longing for a vacation or the mountains or the breeze or you know, there's lots of different things. But I think if you even go biblical for a second, I believe that we all are created with a longing for heaven, a longing for Eden, a longing for connection with God. That's how it was originally intended. Right. So relationship that God created us for. Absolutely. So I think at face value, everybody longs for something. We all do. And then when you put that in a marital context or a relationship context, we long for the presence of the other person, the other, if you will, you know, the, the person that's not me. It's, it's something outside of me that I long to be around. But then if you go to the other side of this whole equation of longing versus lusting, lusting, if you look up at that definition, it just says a very strong sexual desire. Just about sex, nothing spiritual, nothing right. and this deeper is, than that. Yeah, because this is just the world's view. This is this is Webster that that we're coming from. Sure. If we go with lust from a biblical standpoint, Jesus brought this whole thing into um, our vernacular when he was questioning the Pharisees and being confronted about adultery. And they were using it for the uh, legalistic side of things, because if you could hold to the letter of the law— up until that point when Christ was was alive, um, that's what defined uh, righteousness and salvation and holiness. And so the Pharisees were just fantastic at that. Uh, quick little Bible you know, journey sure. we're going on for a second. Uh, so then Jesus comes to it and says, well, hold on. This is more than just if you've actually committed an action 
with somebody else in the act of adultery. If you look at a woman and have lust in your heart, you have committed adultery with her. So now he's now coming in it to from a heart level because that's what Jesus was really all about. He knew, and God knows, perfection is unattainable, so grace has to be a part of this equation, and that's how we get reestablished with a relationship with God is through our relationship with Christ. But it's one of those—it's a heart thing. Yeah. It, it, it draws us towards something deeper, and it's a longing, actually, for a connection again. But when we take it and skew it, as man tends to do with a lot of things, what was intended for good could be used for bad— we then now lust after it, and we're just trying to meet a need and using that other person or that other thing as an object. Right. So it's meeting a need within myself. Yes. Whereas a longing ideally is meeting potentially a need within that relationship, right? A, a deeper connection to mm-hmm. make that relationship grow even more. Sure. Hopefully down the road. Sure. There's a, there's a much more wholesome connection to it, a oneness even. That comes along with it. That when we when we long for connection with somebody else, or we we have a longing for somebody, I want their entire being. If I lust after them, I want just an aspect of them, and so therefore, I think I am objectifying them. And that's what he he made a comment in his call was, my wife oftentimes can feel objectified, and so how do I uh, f- confront that without her feeling objectified? Because that's that's where we it gets a little. Yeah, so that's where it gets dicey when he asks the question. He, as a Christian man, he he still enjoys uh, looking at his wife, which mm-hmm. there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Right. I mean, I would hope that my husband would enjoy looking at me throughout the longevity of our marriage. Right. Right. But in his heart, he's, well, I said heart. Let me back up here. We don't know what's in his heart. Right. Right. So his struggle is that at least her perception is she's being objectified. So really, okay, answer me this. Only he can answer if he's really objectifying her or not. Right? Yes and no. Because this is where it gets, it can seem complicated, but to me and the way I think of things is not all that complicated. Because what he's describing is a two-choice dilemma of how do I express a desire for her without her feeling objectified? The dilemma is he's wanting to have sex with her. He's been triggered. He's interested. He's got a desire. He's what It's been a while. Whatever the rationale is, he wants to have sex. That's what he's saying. But she feels objectified when he, when he comes after her. This sounds like a default reaction or the predominant response can come from that. So what happens a lot of times is he's trying to figure out how could I make it to where she knows I'm interested but doesn't feel objectified. Well, you can't do that. All you can do is let her know you're interested. True. She's got control over the other side of it, right? If she sees it as objectification, well, now, then we start talking about we got to go down that trail a little bit of is what's the truth of that? Yeah. Is it truly that? Right. Is it just her perception? Right, because sometimes it could just be, it's easier for her, and I'm not at all saying this is the case, but I know the way we are as human beings, that it's easier just to say, oh, I feel objectified, because then I don't even have to deal with it. It makes it, it puts the pressure and burden right back on you to just, you need to pursue me without me feeling objectified. Well, yeah, but that's a real easy circular argument again. Yeah, in some scenarios, <laughs> in some marriages, 
every time there's any kind of hint at physical touch or whatever, that's that's the response, right? right? right. And so that's then a personal thing that is on her shoulders to confront and on his shoulders to confront what's the truth of it. Are there times where he has objectified her and her read is accurate? I'm going to be willing to bet yes, that there are some of those, because that's one of the things higher desires suck at at times (laughs) is how do we, because we just think, okay, well, I just need to be better with my desire and I'm just going to express it. And I'm going to, well, then it all becomes about sex. That's what it always is about. And And it is a little bit of an objectification. And the struggle with an objectifying of somebody is we've limited them. It's like a stereotype. And I think that's one of those things that's worth noting, at least as part of our conversation here, Pam, is when I have a stereotype of somebody or an objectifying of a spouse, I'm limiting and diminishing them lower than what the image of God that they were created in. Hmm. I'm only seeing a aspect of them. And in this case, it's genitalia is all I'm seeing, (laughs) that I'm seeing a receptacle for my penis and for my outlet of my sexual desire, which would really, and what we're really talking about is a release. Okay. So if that's really what drives marriage up to this point, well, then there is accuracy in that read. And I'm going to be willing to bet there are quite a few marriages that this is the case where the higher desires, you know, that's what they see their spouse as. And the spouse reads it as I'm just an object for you. And so it becomes an issue, but I'm also going to be willing to bet, and this is a show, for, different show topic for a later date, that when that's going on, the lower desire partner probably using the higher desire partner for something too. Oh, well, that was that was my next question <laughs> so, was, well, what are what is the lower desire partner objectifying right. their spouse for? Because I mean, the, the thing I hear from some of the husbands, if we're talking about it in this context of where a wife has heard or, or feels objectified, the husband has come back at me with, as in a session, I feel like I'm just around for my bank account. Exactly. You know, <laughs> That's exactly. For what, what I provide. And so it is an element of, I think we all do this in varying topics. And so we've got to really have matters of the heart at work here and start to look at, in, in the sake of our caller here, he's got to start to examine, okay, how do I express my desire? That's the question. Okay. Because now when you go down a deeper path with him, he's talking about, I get triggered by other things because that's going to happen. And this we could get off in the weeds real quick on what's the difference between a thought and lust. That can you have a thought about something and it not be sin? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Um, If you you linger with it and if you go further with it and you play it out with all kinds of fantasy scenarios and you keep going with things, I think then you're in the world of lust and now we're talking about sin. Sure. Because now all of a sudden we're bringing into this whole thing a different equation of other people or other things. Well, that that was a little bit of what I was was reading into. I may be wrong here, but I was reading into part of his question of how do I take those triggers— and put him into my marriage without making her feel objectified. And so that goes hits home with exactly what you were saying of, well, if you come and bring those triggers, you're sexually aroused and you come home and your thought process is she's the receptacle, but I'm thinking of this other person 
that I just saw the whole time. Exactly. That is certainly an objectification. Yep, it is. But just because you get aroused doesn't mean now you don't think about your spouse when you're in the middle of sex. Well, and that's where the matters of the heart and the matters of the brain come into play for each person uniquely. Because then you're talking about each person. So if I get triggered... By, by things in my world, because we're with the visual world and the sex-saturated world we live in, there's going to be lots of triggers. And so one of the things I need to ask, just as my own litmus test, I think, is how often am I being triggered, and what does that say about the way I'm living my life? Yeah. Because that could be an integrity, character development kind of process I need to start to examine, that, man, every single little thing triggers me. That, okay, well... Maybe I've got some family of origin issues and some things that happened when I was little that I'm still wrestling with. Or maybe I've got just some, I've sexualized a lot of things in my life that don't need to be sexualized. And that's an issue that needs to be addressed. And you can do that through counseling, through some coaching, through a mastermind group. There's lots of different things you can do that can help. But it's that's one of the questions to ask is, if I, if I get a trigger, do I share it? Is it in the open? With my spouse. I okay. think that's a bigger difference. So keeping that communication b- piece open so there's not barriers there. Right. And I think there's a lot of marriages. And you and I used to be in this kind of a state, I believe, that we've grown beyond some in some degree. Mm-hmm. That there's a lot of marriages that if you share a trigger with a spouse, they see that as a huge threat. There's jealousy. There's a major reaction to it. It's an insecurity hit to a spouse and it's like, wait, hold on, you know? And so this is a a marker of our own growth of how willing and able is our relationship at confronting these things and dealing with these things in the open, knowing humanness of each of us, knowing the striving and the, and the companionship we're longing for and we're driving towards together because that's where all of a sudden you take something that could be seen as an insecurity trigger and a threat, and you disarm it. And now all of a sudden it starts to be something you can use to enhance. Absolutely. Each it's other. a sword that you can use just to battle against whatever's driving at you. Exactly. Because then you get into this, the scenarios of what Paul alluded to, because he made the comment, um, the Ephesians chapter verse of Christ love, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And I'm going to come at this too of, well, Paul even made the comment that um, if if you can't handle some of the sexual desire control issues that we can have, then get married. <laughs> that that's that's the, there's an outlet for it. Yeah, if you know this is a weakness for you, All right? Because God created sexual desire. Hello, that's part of what He created. Otherwise, how how is we going to procreate and keep the species going and and honor the commandment of be fruitful and multiply? <clears throat> and so, it's seeing this as if I will use the relationship better and trust it more to handle each other, now all of a sudden I'm calling us both to something more. Because then it doesn't mean there's not insecurity still hits, but it's the idea of, wait, hold on. My actions are more in line with the edifying of our relationship, the union we have together, the commitment we have with each other that, that does steer us towards something more. So if I have sexual desire, how do I bring that to my wife? And then she has to decide, is it objectification or not? 
Okay, so that is bringing me around to another question then. Go. Because we've talked about his side and his heart and, you know, only he knows whether or not he is objectifying her. Right. So now, is he showing interest in other parts of her? Like, because he can't... he right. can't control her perception of his advances to her or his staring at her. Right. He can't control his perception, her perception to a degree. Right. He can influence it. But he, he can can't influence it. He, but he can't control it. But the question is, what can he do to show her the other side? Right. To show her that I'm not objectifying you. How does she see that piece? Well, to me, it comes back to some of that aspect of solidness. It comes back to that aspect of I'm engaged in in all of you, that I have more than just a sexual interest in you. I have an emotional interest in you. That if if she, okay, let's go this this route. So I don't, I don't know because we don't have enough information from the caller. But let's go the route of he works he works outside the house. She is a stay at home mom. It works inside the house. Stereotypical, okay. So, well, we don't want to limit people because that's what happens when we're not. <laughs> right. But but it's the idea, just for the sake of this conversation. So she longs for adult conversation. So when he comes home, she wants to actually have a conversation with another adult. But yet he could have, wait, I want to just be with the kids. Or I got a lot of other things I want to do. I don't want to deal. I don't want to hear all that. And now all of a sudden he's not longing for other aspects of her, the emotional components of her, the vocal components of her, the mental components of her. He just wants the physical. And so it's seeing it as, how do you demonstrate, I'm, in, I'm engaged in all of you as much as I can? Because I, I also can't make it to where you're going to see that and read it all exactly right. But it's an integrity thing of, I know I care more about you than just your genitalia. And I want to make sure I live that. That's what drives me. So that when she comes to you, this is what happens in our life at, as far as for Pam and I, that she'll have, Pam will come home after some busy days and, and she sometimes is a vocal processor on unloading her day, meaning she likes to just talk through it. True. Right? Very so true. there are times where because of you know what I do for a living, I can sit and listen for a long time. I mean, that's, that, I can do that, but... I could even put on the counselor hat and stay engaged, but she uh, she sees right through that. It's like no, 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 no. I'm not paying for this session, you know. <laughs> so, but it's still that element of some of the stuff. And I've said this when we speak, like at Sexy Marriage Radio Getaway, and some of those things. Some of those, th- some of the stuff she talks about, I don't really care, but I care about her, and I want to show her I care about her by listening. By being engaged, by being present, not being on my phone or on the computer or watching TV and she's just sitting there on the side talking. No, but engaging. And I guess that's what I'm driving at. He had said, the caller said, he's prepared to be a sacrificial husband. Right. And sometimes he doesn't pursue, he doesn't pursue her often when she doesn't seem interested. So is he just sacrificing, quote unquote, his own desires for sex is that where he's sacrificing or is he reaching out to the other areas of her life too to pursue her there 
Well, and that, I, I hear it from what he said in his voicemail. I hear it as he will sacrifice his sexual desire because he reads her as she's not interested to the level I am. So I won't, I won't pursue all the time I'm interested, which sometimes that's good wisdom. Well, okay. Not, not okay. every, because I, I mean, come on, higher desires out there. Not every trigger has to be satisfied. We are not animals in the species. We're humans. We can control it. I heard a woman say in a sex ed class I was in as a teenager, it was a nurse that was doing the female side of things in the sex ed class at church. And I love it because she just made the comment point blank. Not every erection has to end in ejaculation. And that is great, a great message because we have control. <laughs> we, we, are, we don't have this whole, whoa, the wind blew. I'm horny. Where are you? Let's go have sex right now. You know, not every single time has to have sex. So some of that's my own then growing and developing because I think if the more I start to do that as the higher desire, the more I start to show, you know what? I'm interested in you and I want you but you're not just an outlet for me every time the wind blows and I'm horny that it's, it, this is something I want for us to share together. And if you have a time or a series of no's, okay, I'll be okay. I can absorb those hits. It does. I don't crumble. I don't go crazy and go full, full, all full of rage. It's just, okay, I get it. Cause this is a long game. And so I think of it as if he's, Limiting his desire under the umbrella of sacrifice, okay, that's okay. But sometimes you need to bring that forward so she is required, quote-unquote, to have to do her job of saying, no, I'm not interested, or yes, this is something that's good, and I know you help lead the charge to make it keep happening. So at least give her the option to say yes or no sometimes. Right. Because one of the issues that happens a lot of times that I see in the couples that come through my office and that I work with online is higher desires do a poor job of letting the lower desires have to actually do their job, Yeah, <laughs> which is say True. no or accept and reject. Because sometimes that means I need to just be better at how I pursue, how I demonstrate, how I show, how I initiate. Sometimes I suck at that too. And so I need to just be better of learning how to read the playing field some, but also how to be integrated in it, too, with my own desire. And that's where I think we've uh, developed wisdom and character, which I think is what marriage is really all about. Uh, sure, sure. So don't try and read. Don't make assumptions. Let them stand up and say yes or no on their own. Right. And yep. I think that the, I think there's good counsel in that because and it's not just a whole, hey, I'm just going to do this unbeknownst to them. <laughs> you know, it's. <laughs> It's have, let them know, have a conversation. You know what? I've been pondering about this. I actually was listening to sexy marriage radio. This came up and I called in and I shared this and they answered it and, and they rock. They're the best people ever in the world's best podcast. <laughs> everybody, we you know, but it's just the whole <laughs> that, um, be, had that conversation of, okay, I want to have this be more overt. I want us to be better at navigating this. And a lot of times those are conversations that happen out of the fire, quote unquote, to help set the times when it is tense. So that way, when we handle the tensions, we handle them better. Yeah, we certainly do. We've already prepped the playing field, you right. know, we've, we've, um. Right. Which segue to this, because here's a great, uh, thank you from a new listener that they're actually newly married because they made the comment that they've only been married six months. 
and they're late to the party here with Sexy Marriage Radio, but they're devouring past episodes and talking about them, causing communication on a whole new level. They've been married six months, and it's been so helpful in learning and mapping each other. Uh, for example, the episode that we did a while back on sex toys, they listened and paused it every so often to discuss what was said. It took almost two hours, and the whole discussion was laced with lots of great conversation. All That's throughout. incredible. It is. And so they said before our podcast, sex was like almost a bad word, and now it they just are so open that even their newlywed friends are uncomfortable because of how comfortable they are blurting out sex questions, wondering if you know some of their friends might be dealing with something too. And That's great. I wish we had that six <laughs> months in. Oh my goodness, too. how different things would have been. I do too. So, But they have a question or they had a couple ideas. And this, okay. since we're coming to the holiday seasons, that most people will be maybe traveling to see family or in-laws or extended family. So they said, um, w- how do you deal with sex at the in-laws house over the holidays when you have two high desire partners, but you're maybe are afraid of other people knowing when you're having sex or even your kids knowing That's awesome. when you're having sex. They're six. They're, they've only been married six months. That's what I think so, yes. I'm making an assumption yes. that they're young and don't have kids yet. Right, but they're also worried about how do you know how do you have mom and dad not wonder and know that we're having sex. Okay, here's the good part. Who cares? <laughs> right? You're yes. married. You're married. It's all good. But yeah. so okay, here's some thoughts. Um if 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 at home you're wild and crazy and you're loud Try something new that's quiet. Right, right. Or, or just... Maybe he has to stick a pillow over her face because she's so loud. <laughs> Maybe that's kind of funny and adds a little jocularity to it, whatever. Yep. It's and, okay. Yeah, and I think sometimes the the, the fa- extended family adds a lot of novelty options. It really does. Because... A little excitement there. You little, get a chance uh, to go back and have sex in the room you grew up in. Maybe that can be fun. Yes, um, you get to go back and and try to be flirtatious and sultry and real, uh, almost uh, borderline, cross the line, get caught w- in the presence of other people. You know, just that's kind of fun with the with the dialogue, with the comments, with the looks, with the suggestive outfit that you might wear, or. You know, something that, oh, it's, it's the, the, I love the sophistication of this because that's the secretness of a new relationship. Yeah. Well, it's a funny part. You talk about the in-laws too. Who knows where they're sleeping? Are they on the hide-a-bed couch? Are they in the basement? Are right. they in the loft? Do right. they have the bedroom right. with the paper-thin wall right next to mom and dad? But sometimes you could find tremendous energy and passion from trying to do sex like you normally wouldn't do it. Like, okay, we're going to try to do this without making a sound and just look at each other through it. That could be an incredibly different sensation. It can. Because you're then out of the normal pattern and you're out of the normal. And and so, and then and the maybe other thing- it makes you have to have a different position or something so that yep. you're not making the squeaky hide a bed squeak <laughs> maybe so or um you announce proudly by having the squeaky hide a bed squeaking for the house to know and then everybody you just make everybody else uncomfortable you when wake you go, up the next when morning you go to breakfast you're happy and they're like really <laughs> and they're all grumpy but i think it's that idea of okay 
I think one of the best messages good marriages can send is we have a vibrant sex life. I do too. That It's not that I broadcast it, but I don't necessarily hide it. And that's a, there's, there's a line that's a huge continuum in between those two extremes, but it's seeing this as the importance of demonstrating that this is a part of my life and my relationship that I, we love it. And it's so much energy and it's so much fun and pleasure. And who knows, maybe you spark some things for your parents or for your in-laws or for extended family. By all means, go for it, because certainly the holidays can be tense, especially when you're with a lot of family. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Go relieve some tension and have a good time together. Create that additional bond between the two of you. Yep. Yeah, and so uh, great question. Uh, thanks for asking. Um, you also asked about how do you talk to your kids about sex. If you go through the archives of Sexy Marriage Radio, you'll find there's several episodes on that that are worth explaining more uh, and just spending some time dedicated just to that. But uh, the holidays are great, but they also can add a little bit of chaos. And so, a lot of chaos. Well, I was trying to go nice and, <laughs> and clean and rosy, but... <laughs> but seeing it as how can we use this time and, and maybe you ask this to each other while you're driving to the place or traveling how do we use each other as allies in this as as boosters in this and maybe that helps boost your sex life too well this has been sexy marriage radio so wherever you are whatever you're doing merry christmas we'll see you next time